everyone. Welcome to the Bombercast following round 17's clash against the Brisbane Lions. Another win after what's been a much better month of football. I'm here joined by another guest host this week with Bonser still out. I'm here with Kip Tastic. How are you, Kip? Good. Thanks, Grizz. Thanks for having me back. It's good to talk after a win for once instead of losses. <laughs> Yes, I generally do find that we've been doing far more losing pods and winning this year, but the team's staying around into a bit of form, albeit against, uh, I wouldn't even say half-strength Brisbane. I'm not sure what they were on the weekend. I suppose I'll give you the the new ball, Kip. What was your impressions on the game? Look, you wouldn't say it was the perfect game from Essendon. I still think there's questions defensively in terms of both the press and also the ability to hold the ball in in the forward line. I think that's that's still a major concern and it's something that needs to be worked on. But I I don't I know there's been a bit of a talk in the media about how weakened Brisbane were, but you look at their the players that they had in, still in. You know they had the majority of their midfield and their forward line still in. They were still more experienced in both age and games. I mean, the consistency of and the cohesion of the players with so many changes does cause issues, and, and particularly in the first half for them. It's, it probably was what led to them being behind, but I still think it's it's quite a good win. There's a lot of positives to come out of that game, and, yeah, I don't, I don't get the negative write-off that, you know, oh, Brisbane were weak, therefore it's not something you should be looking forward with with you know high high hopes from Essendon and yeah I mean we, we haven't won the Gabba in ages they they'd only lost one game in the last 34 I think so you know I think we take a lot away from that as as a good win yeah I think it was their second loss at the Gabba since 2020 which when you think about it is absolutely bonkers it, it's become quite the fortress up there and I think you I would agree with you in terms of I think the fact they're so depleted was slightly overplayed in the sense that they had no problems moving the ball against us. Their midfield and forward line, as you say, it was in defense that you could really tell, I think, that they were missing a, a bit of cattle. They just didn't have a matchup for for right with Harris Andrews out. I think they really missed Daniel Rich and Kadeen Coleman with that bounce that they normally give them off halfback. Rich with his kicking and Kadeen Coleman with his pace. I think that's probably where they, they miss those players. And I think transition defense was where they were really missing their players. I don't care what team you are. You replace nine guys from one week to the next. Your defensive structures and your zones and whatever you want to play will break down just because there's you know, new guys everywhere. But I think alluding to what you sort of touched on before, the most impressive thing for me this week, and I'll, I'll touch on the, the way the game was played in a second, was our midfield clearly won the battle, I think. And that was against Lions, against McCluggage, against Neil, against a bunch of guys, Zach Bailey, who went into center square a fair bit. That's basically their first rung midfield, maybe missing Jared Berry, if you want to include him. And I think they beat them pretty comprehensively, particularly in set of bounce clearances where we kick six goals too, which is 38 points. League average this year is 15 points. So we more than doubled what a team averages out of clearances. And it was about 15 points more than Brisbane did. And that ended up being the game. So really impressive from our midfield, uh, the clearances in contested situations. I've noticed our midfielders are getting less ball. So less 35-40 disposal games, more 25-30 disposal games, but far more meaningful with their disposals. I think... You know, Shield, we've seen that pace out of the stoppage come back. Merritt's just far more decisive and getting in much more attacking positions, ball in hand. He's getting a lot more ball forward or center, which is where you want him. The money kick is going inside 50 now, not necessarily the kick for goal. And I was really impressed with the midfield. And, and I think Jai Caldwell was probably the, the piece de resistance. He kept um, the 2020 Brownlow medalist to 21 touches and had you know an, an absolute day out himself. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot to go through there. So 
clear, I think starting starting with clearance, Brisbane actually had the advantage at halftime at centre clearance, which I thought was going to be one of our strengths because it's been a strong point of Essendon's for, for quite a while. But as you sort of said, they, they didn't get any advantage from it. So they only kicked one goal from clearance. So we re, whilst they were getting clearances, they weren't getting really strong, you know, decisive clearances from there. And we were actually ahead at stoppage. And one of the things that's really stood out in Brisbane's losses this year is they've been dominated at, at stoppage clearance and we were ahead at halftime. And that sort of flipped after halftime, Essendon got back into the centre clearances and, and started to have an impact from there, whilst Brisbane started to take more control at the stoppage. And so by stats-wise, you would have thought Brisbane could have got back in front through their stoppage clearance work based on their past history this year. But as you sort of said, the move of Caldwell onto Neil, and it's it's becoming a bit of a pattern because we actually had Parrish on Mills last week who managed to keep him quiet whilst also whilst also being effective offensively. It's a really good arrow to have in the quiver that you've got someone who can play that negating role on someone whilst also being damagingly offensively. And if you go, go to Lockie Neal, so we, Essendon's let Lockie Neal run rampant, you know, that has not really had anyone play on him. So I, I did the, I did the stats. So if you go back to Lockie Neal's previous four games against Essendon, that includes 2020 when there was a shortened game time. Yeah. He's sure. averaged 38, 38 disposals, eight clearances, uh, 473 metres gained, uh, five inside 50s and 6.5 score involvements. It, it, cost, the... it cost us a game in round, what was it, round two, I reckon? Yeah, abs- yeah absolutely. It, that that move, not being able to contain Neil, not single-handedly, but 90% cost us a game in round two. Yeah, I think that that now poor kicking, you think if you probably put those two things down, if you, we'd fix that. And we sort of did that this, this week with quite good kicking. And then Lockie Neal this week, 21, with only six clearances, but not very effective with them. Only one inside 50, you know, so really locked down. And as sort of saying before, not only was Caldwell to play a lockdown role, sort of like a Dylan Clark had done in the past, but he's also really good offensively. Obviously that great goal, uh, the second last goal of the game for us, you know, streaming out of the centre, you know, that's, that's an absolute classic clearance goal. And you know, I think he's been. If you if you listen to listen to training watchers who who saw him prior to last season in his first preseason, this is the sort of thing they were talking about, the sort of player that he could be. And you know, I imagine he's been coming back from those hamstring injuries, and he's probably hasn't been quite as you know confident in his body, and he's been building into it. And he's you know he's not in that first first choice rotation generally, but he was yeah. given a role this week and with Parish out. And you know, he he grabbed it with two hands. And if that's the sort of thing we're getting from our you know our fourth fifth level midfielder you know i think we're in a really good position in terms of midfield strength going forward yeah so looking at the stats and uh, it's like seven tackles you know three clearances but he had uh 26 on the day and like you said that crucial goal i think i, I remember we'll have to I have to go back and look at edps's thoughts on him were but the two way on him was that he was that explosive bid coming out the set of bounce clearances at underage level and you're just sort of like oh we haven't really seen it at afl level but i think you're right coming back from those hamstrings you're starting to see it because drafted pick 11 you know um despite missing most of his top age year with hamstring injuries so he's always had the talent but i think opportunity allowed him to step up another guy you know is talking hamstring injuries that stood up on the weekend uh is kyle langford who i don't know if he's had better games for the club but i think the way he played on the weekend, he just, I suppose the argument is he a midfielder or a forward. The the forward, the, the pro Langford forward guys would have had a weekend out yesterday. He was absolutely outstanding. He found space at will inside forward 50. And that was probably a symptom of the way the game was played. It was a glorified circle work for large parts of that game where no one was really picking anyone up. 
But, you know, four goals, one, he's always been a late kick for goal. Just a really strong presence, seven marks to the game. I think quite a few of them were inside 50. A really handy game from him, I thought. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 think, I think he's a great winger. I think some of his play in the last couple of years, particularly, he's shown really strong wing attributes, being able to run out the game, run, for, run forward and back. You know, being that strong mark on the wing is really important and he's obviously a good user of the ball. But I think, as, as a lot of people say, he, he was he's drafted more as, a, more as a forward and he's just got that forward now. So he knows where to lead. You know, he's strong mark and, as you say, he's a good kick. And he was really important for us in that in that first quarter and a bit because Brisbane, as as we sort of pointed out, they were, were they were a bit depleted down back, and so they they were really thinking about Peter Wright and then locking him out with Jones and String and not having strong games. The fact that Langford was able to, you know, get loose, get get marks and affect the scoreboard meant they actually had to start paying him attention. And it's after you know after Langford kicks his first three goals that Wright is able to get into the game because they're now having to concentrate on Langford. And I think it was sort of mentioned after the game that he's going to spend a lot more time forward for the remainder of the year, which I think given that we've now got Durham, Martin, and I think Heppel's sort of moved onto the wing, you know, three really good runners, three good marks, and generally good disposal of the ball, although I know people don't rate Heppel's disposal that highly. I think we can afford to do it, and it, it, again, it just makes us more dangerous forward. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think uh, there's this misnomer about wingmen that you're, you know, a wingman either is Mark Blitzabs or Ed Langdon. Like, but wingmen uh, now they take a various different roles. You've got your defensive sort of Mitch Robinson in his prime wingman who looked like an inside midfielder, but he basically rolled back as a, a seventh defender. And then you've got your more attacking wingman. I think of Isaac Smith at Geelong, formerly Hawthorne. He was very much a start wing, push forward, see if you can get a crack on goal from 50. And I think Langford's that type of mid, uh, that wing, sorry, that pushes forward. And he's deceptively big. You forget he's six foot three and a half and 92 kegs. And so you get him forward a center on an opposition wingman or against a halfback flanker that's picking him up on the way through. He'll beat them more often than not with his forward craft. And you basically have to treat him like a key forward inside 50. If you can have a guy in your side that can do that off a wing and rotate, like you said, with Martin and with Durham off that wing and with Heppel sort of pushing off off halfback, he's sort of like the anti-Langford. Langford pushes forward from the wing and Heppel pushes back. I think it's a really good mix. And you touched on Peter Wright who just goes from strength to strength, really. And what was it? Two fourth-round picks we traded for him in the end. He was essentially a salary dump from the Gold Coast. He will probably kick 50 goals this year. He probably would have kicked 40 last year if he didn't get injured and have to play a few games in the ruck. He's no Joe Danaher, but he's probably the best we could have asked for in the circumstances as a replacement, not necessarily in terms of quality or the way he plays, but just someone that can kick you 45 to 50 goals. He's turned out to be an absolute steal. I don't understand what Brisbane were doing playing Jack Payne on him the way they were. Jack Payne was ceding front position to him continuously. And if there's one thing you can't afford to do with Peter Rose, give him a run and jump at the footy. You've almost got to play him in front. And if he runs around you, he runs around you and you hope you can get some support from the side to block his run. But he was given Payne fit till today. I don't know why they didn't go Marcus Adams at some point, but I think he was the difference. And when you look at the fact that Danaher kicked, I think, 
you know, one goal, one Cameron only kicked one. We'll touch on the defenders in a second. You know, Peter Wright was again, the difference this week. Yeah. Well, I think for all the recruiters out there, if Gold Coast are looking to salary dump another player, I think, you know, that's, that should be everyone's first target given how Wright's gone and Will Brody for Fremantle this year. Not sure how good their development is if they're letting players that could go, although they're obviously having a pretty good uh, year so far and we'll, we'll come up against them this week. But, you know, I think Payne, Payne was trying to play him in front a little bit. Wright just outworked him. I mean, he's the, for, for a big man, he, he's, he runs some of the furthest distances in the comp and he's really good at just, you know, he works really good patterns in the forward line to try and get space. And with the return of Jones and, and Langford this week, you know, Jones hasn't been having great games. So one of the things he's been doing really well is providing a, you know, someone that the opposition player who would most likely come off and, and assist someone like a pain to, to score right. They have to think about that and not, and not go for that. And then obviously with Langford's efforts in the first half, again, it just made it more difficult for them to stop right. And look, we talk about, he's going to be compared to Joe for the next few years, obviously, because he was basically the replacement, but they're, they're very different players in that sense. Joe, Joe is the, you know, win you a game every four or five weeks at three or four weeks at his best. And then, you know, he might cost you a game with with some errors and lack of consistency. But, you know, I think one of the things Wright's really done well this year, other than that three-week patch where he didn't kick a goal, was was being consistent, hitting the scoreboard and being a target. And he's done it against the best defenders. We talk, You talked about Harris Andrews being out, being, giving, not giving them the opportunity to have someone of his quality on Wright. Well, Wright smashed him in against Brisbane, or at least for the first first quarter or so he, he took Harris Andrews apart and he, Andrews had no idea so I don't know how much more effective he would have been although that would have meant they could have rolled you know a Marcus Adams onto someone else yeah. in, in that sense so it all it all it all adds up over time but he just seems so confident he's taking pack marks now like when the big knock on him was at Gold Coast was like yeah he could he could lead and, and, and kick straight but he wasn't you know a contested marker well he's doing that now he's, he's getting up in the middle of the packs he's using his reach and he's being really dominant in that in that part so you know i think when he was traded in there was questions was he ever going to be the number one forward well i think he's put that to bed and he's up there in the coleman and he's got three games left at marvel and one against north one against gold coast and one against port you know his favorite hunting ground i think he's a sneaky now if he gets on a roll he's a sneaky coleman chance yeah i haven't seen the coleman i don't know how far off he is but i think coleman or not yeah, if you can get 50 goals out of him, which I think he will this year, barring some unforeseen disaster, touch wood, I think it's, you know, whatever you get out of him is a bonus for what you gave up for him. And I wasn't alluding to the fact I think he's equal to Danaher. Danaher is the sort of forward that if you have him, you're capable of beating any team on any day at any time. Um, I'm not sure Peter Wright is that sort of forward, but anyway, very handy. You can't, ha- not everyone can have a Joe Danaher, but if you have a Peter Wright, it, it's a fair consolation prize. I just want to turn quickly to the defenders on account that looking at their forward line, Hipwood's kept to a goal, Charlie Cameron kept to one goal, Joe Danaher kept to one goal one. There's been a lot of talk about uh, defensive back six or seven, however you want to count it, and whether it's undersized. But this is one of the most potent forward lines in the competition, being fed quite ably by their midfield at the time with the lack of transition defense by us. And Zerk Thatcher had another good game. Jake Kelly, you know, for all his detractors, absolutely had Cameron in his pocket. And Laverty did a good job on Joe Danaher. And it was just whatever Truck's doing with that defensive back seven, it's working over the past month. When I posted in the the preview thread that I was glad McGrath was coming back because he was the only one I trusted on, on Cameron. You made the point of, you know, again, going back to that first Brisbane game that Kelly really took care of Cameron that time. And you were proved right. Cause yeah, Cameron was having to go up to, you know, the halfback line to get a touch. He got one, he got one goal where um, I think Draper tried to take, take on half of Brisbane and 
and he, and Kelly got <laughs> caught out in Kelly Kelly got caught out on transition. I think it was where Hip was off the side and, and someone had to run off to get to Ridley had to run off to get to Hipwood and then Kelly was was caught in no man's land, which is a bit unfortunate, but because he, he deserved a, a zero goal game. And it's gonna be interesting because the one forward for them that did get off the leash, other than I think McInerney and, and Fort kicked a few goals, which is probably where we where we got let down a bit. But the, the one that got off the chain a bit was McCarthy. And that was where D'Ambrosio was on. And obviously D'Ambrosio got a got a corky late. So in, in terms of next week, it might be a bit academic about who goes out. But with Kelly playing so well and D'Ambrosio probably not having as good a game defensively as he would like. It's going to be interesting to see who who goes out for Redmond from from those two, which is what I think. But we can get to that when we look at Gold Coast, I guess. Yeah, I, I think looking ahead a little bit, I think Dembrozio isn't 100% right. I think that's your easy in and out swap there. Well, I did want to ask you, what do we take away from yesterday? So we, we've talked about how Brisbane, yes, were missing players, but still they had a lot of good talent in there. And I think it probably shows the difference between someone a team like Brisbane, a team like us in that full missing nine guys, nine of our guys from one week to the next and Brisbane are at full strength. We're probably looking at the 10 goal plus margin. So the fact that they could lose nine guys and still get to within 10 points is probably a credit to their list. But, uh, you know, it was glorified circle work. Like I said before, at different points, it was almost no transition defense from either team. The ball was moving really quick. It was really interesting game to watch and entertaining in that sense lots of you know fast ball movement and marking i think we had plus 40 marks or something ridiculous for the game over them um, i'm just trying to find the stat now i had a look at it yeah it's so plus, plus, it's plus 33 marks yeah, yeah plus 33 marks so you know and plus nine marks inside 50 so but even both teams 110 plus yeah, 187 marks to the game is really high what do you take out of that game because i'm not sure we can take defense out as a positive to be honest no i i, I agree and i think as you sort of pointed out before with with rich coleman and and then archie being out so that's probably their three there's this three highest rated uh, movers from halfback. Even Zorko plays a bit from halfback at, at, at times to move it out. So we really should have been able to restrict their ball movement from halfback. And I think it just points to our lack of particularly small small pressure forwards. You know, I think both both in terms of that and in terms of we had a lot of scenarios, particularly early, where Peter Wright was crashing packs, not taking the mark, but bringing the ball to ground in front. And we just had no one there. Yeah. I, I, I personally think that maybe Stringer plays more as a small because he's got... You know he's not he's not as he's not as quick as say a Tip and Woody there, but he's got the the forward smarts to be able to play that play that role. So maybe that's something he they should consider for him going for for the rest of the year until we you know potentially get some small forwards into that side. But I think that's probably something to take away. Although we do, that, I think that's just been an ongoing issue there. Obviously, we, we're building that midfield balance about how to how to press and and, and attack. And as as you sort of said getting our getting our midfielders into more dangerous positions so you know it was Merritt last week kicking three this week it was Shield and Caldwell kicking goals so getting your midfield to kick goals I think is a good take take away from this and again it creates more opportunity and I think it's another game that we were able to control the flow of play so we had far more uncontested possessions we had 63 more uncontested possessions in Brisbane as well as to go as those those 33 marks and I think which shows that when we get the game on our terms we can put up winning scores and we can control the ball, which is, you know, sometimes teams down the bottom of the ladder struggle to, to maintain possession. And the other, the other takeaway that, that, I, that I had was that even though we had 81 more disposals was we still had six more tackles in Brisbane. So normally you would expect a team that has more disposals controlling the ball more would have less tackles. We actually had more. So and that it's similar to what happened last week against the Swans there as well. So the, I think the effort is there. This, since, since that first Sydney game, 
you know, you, you can't really fault the effort of the team. And as results over the last three or four weeks show that they're building more confidence in the way that they play. So I still think you take, you take some things out of it. You don't, you don't start, you know, buying your grand final tickets for next, next year based on beating a depleted Brisbane up there. But it's just, there's a lot of positive signs to take, to take away, but there's also, you know, some issues that need to be resolved. And I think games like that make it more and more obvious. Yeah, I wonder, I agree completely with the the small forward point you made before. I think we're really lacking some pressure at the fall of the ball forward. I think, you know, I, I don't know whether the move is to sacrifice a second ruck to bring in an extra small forward. I mean, like we were alluding to before that Langford can sort of play as a pseudo key forward. You know, do you chop out Draper with Wright for 15 to 20% of game time? And then throw Langford forward and you have your three talls with Langford, Jones and Stringer and you sacrifice Phillips for a Menzi. Um, I, I don't know. Well, Menzi might not be up to the level either, but just another small forward option. I also think Snelling is probably taking a bit longer to get back up to pace than we thought. And his pressure is normally pretty good as well. So when you're missing McDonald Tipping Woody and you're missing Snelling at his absolute best and Stringer's still enigmatic, probably coming back from his injury, he always takes a four to five week lead in for whatever reason. You're probably missing that pressure. And I thought we looked better in defense when we were playing man. I think this zone... We're just, I don't know if it's a practice thing. It's just a rep thing. The more we do it, the better we'll get. But you're watching the sort of the full, they were showing the behind the goal footage and you just see guys handing off. We know handing off being, oh, that guy's leaving my area. He's now in your area. And they're just handing off at the absolute wrong times. (laughs) Like don't, don't do it then. I think that the younger guys tend to do it probably a bit more. I thought Durham, as good as he is that are taking the ball, probably did a couple of times. Shield did a couple of times accidentally and our back six sort of rotate when they don't need to. But I don't know whether that's a rep thing, just the more things that more times they do it, the better they'll get. Or um, it's a, a system tweak that we need to go. But I thought we were much better when we just played man on man anyway. Any negatives from the game? I didn't think so. Durham and D'Ambrosio both seem to pick up a knock. Uh, No word out for what they are, but hopefully they're up and ready to go. If they're not, I think D'Ambrosio for Redmond's a pretty straight swap, but I don't know how we're going to replace Durham. He's been close to one of our five best players the past month. Well, judging by the sub, they they probably bring in someone like a ham, although hopefully Archie Perkins is back. Although, you know, given some of our history with re-injuring after coming back from calf injuries, you you probably want to give him another week. Uh, yeah, another week potentially. So, yeah, I think if Durham goes out and they want to keep Langford as a forward, then it, it probably is Ham coming in there. And then, as you say, there's also the opportunity that maybe they don't run Phillips as well. I don't think Phillips had that much of an impact this week, although I I, I do rate him as a second ruckman. You, you know, you know he's going to give him give his all. But whether you, as you say, pick pick an extra small at Marvel, uh, smaller ground, and and you know, I think I think right still was able to impact the scoreboard when he's second rucking because he is that fit and talked about this before, but you know, the Bulldogs game last year where he kicked seven goals, he was second ruck that game. So, you know, he can still cause damage when he's second ruck and he's a, he's a useful second ruck as well. So that's just something to think about when you're playing next week. Yeah. I wonder if it's also just a, a horses for courses thing with matchups. I, I know we went with, we went with only one ruck against Sydney who had Hickey and then I think Sam Reeves, who might just be horses for courses, but um, we'll go to a, a game. I like to play a kit called take it or leave it where we're going to give each other a couple of prompts um, and then we'll have a chance to justify our stances 
uh, to take it or leave it and then see what the other one has to say on it. Uh, would you like to go first or did you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. I, I've had a thought of it. I did have a think about this when you told me we were doing this. So I've got I've got three for you. We'll see. see I've got we a go. few. All right, here's the first one. If Essendon had no injuries, so had an entire list to choose from, Mac Welfie would still be in the best 22. Oh, that's one of the ones I had. I'm going to scratch that out. Um, um, yes, I think. Oh, 22, no, 23, yes. I think he's a perfect sub in the sense that he can play forward, mid and back. He hasn't played a lot of mid at AFL level. But I think you can, <laughs> I have this argument all the time with my fellow Essendon supporters. You can't have 22 All-Australians. You need guys that are willing to to rip in, do the hard things. And he does that. There was some efforts on the weekend. That 2v1, he won at halfback. I think, it, what was it, the third quarter? When we're under the pump and someone dumped, I think it was Zerk Thatcher just dump kicked it on his head. It was 2v1, him versus two Brisbane players. And he somehow, not only halved the contest, got the ball going forward and won a free kick because they pushed him in the back as he went over the sideline. Like that sort of stuff you can't teach. That sort of stuff is a wiring thing. You've just got to be that competitive or you're not. And Guelph is that competitive. In our team, he's probably best 23, probably not 20, best 22. He's probably not best 22 in a team that's competing for the premiership, but we're not that at the moment. So... I would say. So, what was the question? Is is if he had no injury, no injuries, is he still best twenty two? Not twenty two, no, but twenty three definitely. So I'll leave the twenty two, but I'll take twenty three. He's got a bit of the Nathan Lovett Murray problem where he's so flexible that you think, oh, we can, you know, if we get an injury, we can put him on anywhere, and we'll we'll have a good good player. But I, he just does he just does enough good stuff. I, he used to do a lot more error prone stuff, but he doesn't seem to do that as much anymore. And, and the the other efforts are noticeable, like as, as you pointed out with the, the two-on-one on the, the wing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm finding a spot for him. Yeah, that's it. Well, I think he's playing a lot more within his limitations with the ball in hand, which I think is, like you said, limiting the errors. Uh, so take it or leave it. Constant soft tissue re-injuries requires a review into the conditioning program. Take it. I don't know whether it's necessarily the conditioning program or whether it's bringing players back before they're ready. But I think if the review, the review they're doing at the moment means anything, then that's one of the things they should be looking at. So I agree. Yeah. I think uh, conditioning, high performance, you name whoever the staff is involved in it. I think this is the fourth re-injury of a soft tissue we've had this year. So Parrish, obviously with his calf, we had McGrath, we had Snelling, we had Stringer with a hamstring, uh, with his groin. We had Langford over the season. Um, We even have Cox, had Cox do two ankles, and I'll lose Frank this season. I, I think the ankles are probably a bit more accidental and bad luck, but I think we're getting to a time now where too many re-injuries of the same injury within a couple of weeks. It's something's a problem. So what's your next one? Uh, my next one, Sammy Draper should always try to take the game on and back his athleticism, even if he makes a few bad mistakes. I like it. I prefer anytime Draper's running to get the ball is a good thing for us. There were a couple of occasions where he ran past the footy to lay the bump and it went pear-shaped and Brisbane won the ball. Whereas if he'd just gone, no, I'm 204 centimetres, 109 kegs, I'm athletic. If I run for the footy here, no one's knocking me off of it. Something good always happens for us. And so I'm definitely taking that. I wish Sammy would sort of do that more instead of just trying to be the guy that you know takes bodies as fun as that looks when it 
comes off and it doesn't, it looked bad like it did on the weekend. Yeah. Okay. So my next one is the midfield isn't big enough for the five of them. So this is being Shield, Merritt, Parrish, Caldwell, and Hobbs slash Perkins, whoever you want to include, or McGrath, if you want to include him in there. It seems whenever one of them is out, the other ones play better. Maybe that's just a midfield time. Maybe that's a, a just the way the rotations work. But take it or leave it. The midfield isn't big enough for the five of them. Uh, I say leave it. I think... We've seen with Hobbs playing forward now. He a lot enough of them have played enough positions outside of midfield now that they're starting to become effective there. So obviously McGrath back, uh, Merritt has shown he can kick goals. Uh, Hobbs can do the same thing. Corvo's played a lot half forward, so he's getting better at that. I think one of the things that's that's helped in the last few weeks is that we've been better at rotating them, and the more rotations you have, the better. If you go back to the Fremantle game, we basically ran Merritt, Parish, and Shield the whole game in the center. And by the time the third quarter came around, that was stuffed. And so that's when, that's when Fremantle got on top and ran over the top. One of the reasons why we've been in games more is because we've been able to rotate them. And some one, one week it might be Caldwell, one week it might be Hobbs. Giving them all that opportunity keeps them fresh. We have more, more threats that the opposition have to worry about. And I think you, you find a way to incorporate them all. Do you want to finish the last take it or leave it? Which What's your third one? Well, this probably goes against, this probably just adds to what I said before, but, uh, Essendon should trade their first round pick next year for Taranto or Dunkley. No, I'm going to leave that. I am of the opinion that another big name midfielder isn't what we need in the sense that we've got holes in our list, but I think we need to be looking far more to the free agency slash salary dump side of it. We've seen how effective Wright has been. We've got $2 million in salary cap. So for people who are playing at home, quick math says we are $1.3 million underneath the salary floor of 95% next year. That's a big amount of cash, right? So we can spend that on a, a trade, but I would think that in our position, we actually need to be keeping what's likely to be a top five pick and using that salary to bring in maybe a salary dump for more picks or to upgrade picks, signing a free agent like Angus Brayshaw, you know, looking that way. Cause I think top five picks are really far too valuable to trade where we are on the ladder, which is essentially still a bottom eight team. And so I wouldn't be doing that. Uh, I don't think you'd need to give up a top five pick to give up Dunkley in the first place though. So I'm going to leave that though. We're going to now move to a really quick recap. We've only got a few minutes left. It's always good to talk after a win. Normally, uh, we can't wait to move off of the game we just watched. Just your thoughts on the game coming up against the Gold Coast, where you think it'll be won and lost, and any changes you think might come to the team, obviously noting Redmond to come back in out of COVID protocols. Yeah, I think that's that's the main one, Redmond, for either Kelly or D'Ambrosio. If D'Ambrosio's corkies uh, doesn't come up well, then Redmond's straight in for him. Otherwise, it's a probably a difficult decision between the two, although Kelly was last in. So often they go last in first out. And then maybe if Perkins is up for a Snelling, uh, but, you know, that's just something to think about. I haven't watched too many Suns games. I did watch most of their game on the weekend, which was, you know, it's always good to see a goal after the siren win for, like, that's not against us. So, yeah, it's hard to know. But the one thing, just looking at their stats, the one thing that really stands out to me is their kick to handball ratio. They have the highest kick to handball ratio in the league. They kick it, twice as many times as they handball it. So no other team does that. So I think the way to beat them is to probably try and get them off that game. You've got to try and force them, find some way to force them to handball the ball. And if you can do that, it's it's not going to be what they're comfortable doing. And that gives you an opportunity to win. It is it is it home at the dome. Well, it's not the dome anymore, is it the Marble Stadium? So, you know, I think we're a good chance of winning that, but they're also playing quite well and, and you know, they'll be up and about. So I think it'll be a, a very interesting game. 
Yeah, I think with Gold Coast, the teams that tend to beat them win the territory battle, which sounds really simplistic, right? Yeah, okay, you do that against every other team, Grizz. But particularly against the Suns, they can look a little bit shaky in defense. Collins is strong under the the high ball 1v1. But if you can get repeat entries, they can be a bit vulnerable. But if you give them first chance at the stoppage and they get the ball forward, they're very good at um, sort of grinding it down with the territory battle. Uh, very Hawthorne-ish style play from when Stuart Jew played with Hawthorne. So I think that'll be the key. Once again, they who win the midfield will win the game. I think um, we're going head to head with, you know, Anson, Rao, Miller, Fiorini, if he plays, I'm not sure if he's playing at the moment, but um, those sorts of guys, Ainsworth who rolls through there. If you're going to win the uh, game, you've got to win the midfield battle against the Gold Coast. Otherwise, um, if they get it forward often and are able to lock it in there, they, they end up um, sort of putting scores on teams. That'll just about do us. So I think, Kip, thank you for joining me uh, for this week. It's been a great to chat to you again, especially after uh, a good win. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me. It's been great, great to come back and you know chat to you and again, you know, after a win, you know, there's always lots to talk about. So thanks for having me. No worries. Well, as per normal, everyone, please let your friends know about this podcast. Uh, like, subscribe, hand it on. Good luck to the bombers this weekend, and we'll chat to you all next week. Oh, 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 oh,